Welcome to another edition of Coffee Cast with Cation, powered by Behind the Racket. Mike Cation joined by Noah Rubin. And Noah, you are back home for all of about 24 hours, maybe? No, not even. My flight tomorrow is at 7 a.m. And right now it's almost 11 p.m. This is the world of tennis. You know, it's all up in the air. Uh, I got a call about some world team tennis activity, and I just had to jump on that. So oh, let's let's finish up this podcast, and, and I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> okay. So just so it's clear, yes, it is close to 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. Uh, you fly at 7. I fly at 6 out of Ithaca, New York to get to Lexington, Kentucky to broadcast tomorrow night. So, I mean, you know, we it, this is this is what we dreamed of when we were children. <laughs> There's something something in the tennis world that people just try to one up each other in misery. And I think we have to <laughs> we have to change that a little bit. We have to get a little more positive and I think, you know, we'll we'll get there. We're still cynics at I'm, heart, I'm but actually... we have to get a little more positive. See, I'm actually pretty excited to go to Lexington. Um, I, I, I'm really excited to have a, a nice day tomorrow. I'm going to take the day off to work on the night session because they start at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. So I'm going to have a nice relaxing travel day is what's going through my head. Uh, I don't have to play tennis tomorrow, so, uh, you know, it should be fine, right? I'm sure you're going to be in the perfect state of mind to commentate, and I'll be more than happy to to recap, you know, the night matches in Lexington after my World Team Tennis escapades. The Coffee Cast is sponsored by New Balance. The new kits are out. Coco Golf is debuting it at the City Open for the women. JC Aragoni had some nice new looks this past week in Binghamton. You can check out all the latest styles by visiting newbalance.com. Let's hit really quickly on Binghamton. Yuichi Sugita won his 10th challenger title. You got anything for me? <laughs> oh, God. Nothing against him. You know, may not be the most okay. exciting player. He's definitely unique. Um, takes the ball early, which, you know, nowadays you don't see quite as much. Um, you know, some good success on grass. But he's not one of the young guys anymore. So I yeah. wouldn't say, say that the excitement is necessarily there. And I'm not sure that a Menendez-Sugita final is what Binghamton was possibly hoping for. A non-American final. But still a good doubles final nonetheless. So, <laughs> Yes, Max Purcell and Luke Saville, their sixth title together this year, defeating Aragonia and Lawson. So congratulations to those guys. I will also say, getting to see Yannick Sinner for the first time, um, he hits the heck out of the ball. Holy gosh. He's got some work yes. to do in terms of developing the overall game. Um, but but yeah, again... it's always fun seeing those guys. You know, is there, you, know you, you just kind of have that feel that... Uh, might be something special. Yeah, I mean, you, you see him. I didn't know quite how large he was as a human. Um, you know, he still <laughs> has that kind of kid look to him, but being six foot four. So you know, he's you know he's taking that head rack and he's swinging at 154 miles per hour and hitting massive forehands. It's you know you hear this talk and you have the young kids and it's nice to actually see them in the flesh. So. Of course, uh, we want to also make sure we mention that Ernesto Escobedo got back in the winner's circle up in Granby, um, which is huge for him. He's had a miserable two years. Uh, I know yes. uh, talking to Jan Michael Gamble, who worked with him in California over the last couple of months, it was essentially a two-month training block because they could only get into one uh, grass court tournament 
overseas. So essentially two months of training. And so for him to get over the finish line and get a trophy this weekend, Granby, I know I, I think very highly of him as a young man. I know you have talked to him as well uh, as part of Behind the Racket. He's a great kid. Uh, I'm very happy to see him have that success. Yeah, I mean, super nice guy. He's super shy, so so he won't always, you know, share his emotion. But I mean, to somebody, again, who's had a really, really tough go at it, you know, somebody that I've, you know, even through my struggles, I've tried to help him. And, you know, he's asked for help at times. And, you know, this isn't extreme. To get a title is, is incredible. That's not always what you can hope for. But just at least, to, you know, change the ties a little bit. I think that was needed because, you know, you wonder how long somebody can last in a situation like that yep. and how much they can actually handle until they're like, I can't see another tennis racket. But he stuck with it, and I'm all for it. And, you know, he's basically at the same ranking back to where we're, you know, where we are. So that's great to see. Super happy for him. Alex Demonar winning in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, listen, with, with the exception of Demonar, who really didn't uh, make too many appearances on the USTA Pro Circuit, the rest of the semifinals, it's Taylor Fritz, it's Riley Opelka, it's Cam Nori. I am disappointed I was not there, frankly, to be commentating on it. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> no Demonar Fritz person. in the final. <laughs> it was like but, when uh, Sandgren and Nori were in the final in Auckland this year, and I'm just like, I'm I'm like an hour flight away. I, I somebody call me, please. I've done this match five times. I was gonna say, like honestly, four months ago it could have been happening in California. So I mean, this is it's great right. to see. I mean, all the guys are having you know great years. You know, somebody like Demonar, who you know that shows the intricacies of tennis in the fact that you know here's somebody that wasn't doing well on the ATP tour, and obviously people were, you know ruining his career on Twitter. But again, here's somebody who wanted, you know, an ATP when it mattered early in the year. And then again, put five matches together at another time. And he won a title again. So it, you know, if you manage to put the matches together when it matters, your ranking is going to be the same as if you were just average throughout the whole year. And that's what tennis kind of showcases in a way and almost encourages and it's not always easy just to win two ATP titles but for him to do that um he definitely has the game to be a nightmare an absolute nightmare for a lot of people especially if he's feeling it if if he enjoys the heat which he does and he was out there on these you know really pretty slick courts I was hearing at Atlanta that were bouncy as well and I guess his game fit for this week so no good job to him yeah I think he only lost seven first serve points throughout the whole week that was a I, I want to make I, sure you, yeah, seven through the week. That's decent. This, you have to be lying to me because that's, <laughs> that's, that's, no. that's outrageous. But yeah, I, again, I mean, he's uh, didn't get broken probably the, the week only either. person. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. And honestly, they're probably one of the only people that I, you know, attest to being somewhat at the same speed level as me. I, that's the only that's the only thing I give myself credit for is speed. And honestly, he's he's done some things that I'm like, wow, this kid may be faster than me. So, again, if he puts if he's feeling it, he's mentally there for that week. Why not? How are you doing after two uh, tough losses within a week? Uh, Temuris Gabishvili, the the monster that is Temuris Gabishvili, <laughs> and then Ty Kwiatkowski. Um, it, it's never fun to lose twice in a week. No, it's not, and it happens so quickly sometimes. Um, Again, going back to Demon R, don't always have to win that many matches in a row. It's just 
at the time that it matters. But, you know, playing a guy like Abishvili, he's been on the tour for so long. Um, you were there. He wanted that match yeah. for some reason extremely badly. Um, I, I don't see that reaction from him all the time. But, again, you know, he was playing some great ball. I didn't feel great on those courts necessarily. Um, and it's just a tough match. And, and for somebody who's not having the greatest year, um, you know, it's a tough loss for myself. But then you try to rebound, and then when you don't rebound as well as you want to. And this is absolutely taking nothing away from Ty. You know, we had a good battle the first two sets. Um, I dealt with the same issue I've been dealing with for the past year, which has been a lot of the cramping situation. Um, that I'm attesting some to mental and some to the outside factors that I can't really put my finger on yet, but we're we're working on it. We're doing a million different things. But again, yeah, two tough losses. This is what happens in tennis. But you have something, let's say, like a world team tennis opportunity where you can enjoy yourself, have fun, get some confidence possibly, and then you go into Aptos um, as a nice, you know, preparation for the US Open. And you know, you, who knows what happens at the Open? You can lose first round, or you can quality, and then everybody forgets what happens in Binghamton. So this is kind of what goes through the head of a tennis player. Uh, how do you feel, by the way, about Alex Dimonar's mustache? Uh, because I got to be honest, I I love it. Why though? Why? I mean, it's and and Demonar's a great guy. Thompson, a great guy. I mean, these are good people, but they have this mustache, and you know, I don't even have to say it. And you're you're the raunchier person in, in this podcast, so I can let you say what what. what yeah, oh come on, you you know. I mean, you look at this mustache, and you're like, it's it's just not a great look. You have a few notions as soon as you see it, you're like. Maybe Are you stay away from school grounds. Yeah. No, I'm thinking like stay away from school grounds kind of thing. Yeah. That's okay. that's that's yeah, the that's feeling fair. I'm getting from it. But again, that's what. Well, he. Well, that's the other thing, and then and then you have like this little caterpillar mustache on top of them, and uh, honestly, again, up in the air it, it, for you, possibly for me, they gotta shave it at some point. Well, that's not what you came for uh, no. here on the Coffee Cast. I think you came for some other uh, more interesting topics. And today, we're kind of talking about this idea of overthinking and, and whether it's actually more beneficial for tennis players to be maybe a non-thinker or, or in, frankly, a, a little bit stupid at times. <laughs> um, so what in, in your definition as a player, what what is overthink on a tennis court? Um, and, and on top of that, how does one simplify that um, from point to point and game to game? So this is going to be tough for a lot of people to hear. I think it's extremely controversial. and it and but again, I don't think there's a losing situation in this. So, what I've found over the years, and I've spoken to other people about this, is that there is this graph, and there's a line shooting right across, and the line shows how good you how good you are at tennis and your intelligence. And there's a point where that meets in the middle, where that is the perfect amount of intelligence to match how great you can become as a tennis player. You know your your best game, but. As soon as the line goes above and you become too intelligent or below and you're not quite there, then it starts to waver. And obviously, it is obvious that the non-intelligent aspect, people will say, of course, you're not smart enough to play the game of tennis. But I don't think a lot of people understand that once it gets above and you become too intelligent, I don't know if people actually understand that that, that can actually 
hinder your game, hinder a match, and and hurt a career. And I've dealt with this, and I've talked to people, and I don't want to go out on a limb and compliment myself too much, but I, I find myself that at times I, I go into this world of just constantly thinking about a billion things that I can change, you know, throughout a match, preparing for a match, and I'm not sure what is the perfect formula for my tennis. And that is a problem I've dealt with my whole life. I've spoken to people like Sangren, Tennis Sangren about this and other um, players that have dealt with the same situation I have. And I'm finding that, you know, through a level of certain intelligence that you find yourself getting to a point where it's just confusion. And that's the issue. And it's mm. you're on core and you're like, Oh God, do I do this? Well, you know, if I do that, that will have this certain outcome. And then before core, maybe I eat better, but then that time I ate a little bit worse or differently and your head explodes <laughs> into a million pieces. And that's where I literally find myself walking and I'm like falling asleep mid walk. And I'm like, I'm just exhausted. So this is the thing that I've dealt with. And you know, you've seen it. You've probably said it before the seat ball hit ball. How many times have you yep. seen that? How many, you know, commentators have used this and, you know, at the beginning of time where, and it's not a knock on the person to a certain extent, but it's this idea that they're not an overthinker at all, that they see this ball, they've, you know, they have a certain enough intelligence that they practice this, they know what they're supposed to do, and they calculate all the things they have to calculate to hit the perfect ball. But in their heads, it's really just, I have this forehand here. I'm going to hit it pretty hard and I'm going to put it there. In my head, I might see that ball and be like, well, I have to angle that off the court. But if I angle that off the court, he's going to hit that ball down line. So I'm going to go down line. But wait, if I go down the line and this is what happens, this is what happens throughout a match and it happens off the court as well. And I'm, I'm envious. I'm looking at these other people and I'm being like, oh my God, to just have the thought in my head of I'm going to hit this serve big, I'm going to either put it here or here, and then I'm going to look for my forehand, and I'm going to hit that forehand big. And I know that's crazy to say, but I don't think a lot of people understand how often this takes place in tennis. And Give me an example. I'm going to interrupt you. Give me an example of somebody Hmm. who is um, a very intelligent human being Yes. But the appropriate amount of stupid when it comes to making sure that they hit a good equation of talent versus intelligence on court so that they're able to simplify very well. Whew. That, that is a very – I would have liked if you asked this before the podcast so I can you know prepare <laughs> for this a little bit. Um, we'll come back to it. Think, think about it because I, I think that's the, the question people have is let's, let's take Federer, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, does, doesn't ever seem too, too complicated, frustrated. Um, uh, yeah, doesn't seem overwhelmed by any moment. Although at Wimbledon final this year, it looked there were a couple times down the stretch where I would say actually he did. Um, but that, that seems like somebody over the years who has been able to handle that perfectly. Djokovic, too. I mean, listen, anybody at the top, typically right. pretty but good But you tell that, me if right? I'm wrong. You tell me okay. if I'm wrong. I think that the only thing that will overcome the, I guess we can call excessive intelligence, would be confidence. Confidence in your mm-hmm. game, confidence in your preparation, saying that I know without a doubt this is what I have to do before the match. 
in practice, and I know without a doubt this is how I'm going to play and this is how I'm going to either win or lose my match today in the match. And I think that overcomes everything, and I think Federer is intelligent enough to say this is how I want to play tennis. And yeah, I might have a few things that I changed throughout the match, but for the most part, this is me. I'm confident in that, so I don't have to overthink it that much. It is a very simple game plan. I mean, I, I think you could see that in some of the players that you watch. Um, again, I'm, I'm trying to think because, uh, God, I mean, for the most part, some of the people that come to my head have the issues that I have. And when they play their best, the confidence takes over. You know, mm. seeing a Sangren having his confidence take over because I think he has a, a definitely a level of intelligence above most of the tennis players that we have on tour, I think it's a, he's above average, and it does hinder him at times. But I think he's gone to a point where he's comfortable in his own game and his own skin that he's going to play the way he plays. He's going to prepare the way he prepares. And whatever that comes to in the end, whatever the outcome is, he's going to be okay with that. I was thinking about Riley Opelka. Um, and, and yes, I, I like he spoke out this week very firmly against this idea of serve bot. Um, but he also has become much more comfortable within his own skin and knows the simplicity of what he can and can't do. Um, and I think that's something I talk about with um, with a lot of challenger level players. Uh, here, here's one, Colin Altamirano which might seem mm. like a kind of an odd example, but a guy who knows exactly who he is at this point, at this stage, and there are gonna be bad days for him and good days, right? But he knows who he is, he plays to his strengths, and it, it kind of simplifies the game for him so he doesn't have as much overthink. A thousand percent, and then actually that is a great example. Um, you know, I also wanna to try to find somebody ranked inside the top 100 just to get it out for the, the you know, yeah, the sure. listeners, but but Colin is, is perfect. I mean, this is somebody who's, going to rope you around the court, you know, angle you off the court, you know, a few big serves, but nothing crazy. He's going to, you know, look for serve plus one, um, somebody who's super intelligent, you know, but again, knows his game, is comfortable in his own skin. And yes, does he get, because of where his ranking is, does he get thrown off this idea of the confidence more than other players might at the top? Yes. And that's probably most of his problems coming from and stemming from that. But I mean, that's somebody who... I'm going to do this, and if it's not working, to be honest, I'm probably going to lose that day. And um, again, there's something to be said for that because I'll get into matches, and I'm speaking for myself. I'll get into matches, and I don't know, you know, I'll be in the first few games, and if it's not working, boom, I have a thousand things that click into my head, and then it's just overload. <laughs> then I'm oversaturated, and I'm like, where do I go from here? And honestly, I've been dealing more with the off-court stuff than on-court. I've been dealing, obviously, with the cramping has been a, a very major, you know, major issue recently. And I'm like, well, what should I be eating? What should I be drinking? How should I practice? How should I warm up? And nobody has the answer. And even before the cramping, it's like nobody has the answer. So you have to find something that works for yourself, and it may take time. And then you have to give your life to it and say, I'm going to live and die by this and be confident in this. When we talk about simplifying and making things more simple for yourself on the court, um, I have seen players who will take out a notebook 
um, and, and take a look at some notes that they maybe have written for themselves through the day. We talk about players who have used sports psychologists to help them um, simplify. Um, you and I have talked about the idea of meditation, mindfulness, which is focusing more on the moment. What has you? What have you seen that has been most successful for players, and what has worked for you, and what has not worked for you? Yeah, I think it's obviously very extremely individual. Um, what I've seen, especially in our generation, which has been the most successful, are two things. One, whatever can get you away from technology and allow you to be with your inner thoughts. And I know that's a yeah. terrifying place for most of us. And sadly, I've heard a lot of your inner thoughts, and I wish I haven't. Mm, but Yeah, no, I am pretty dark. <laughs> but it's between meditation and mindfulness, which also includes yoga, I think is okay. super important. I think allowing yourself to be in this, I'm going to word, use the word Zen, but this idea of where you're with your thoughts, you have no phone on you, and you're just activating your whole body. And I think it's extremely important for people to get away from the activities that they do within tennis and off the court and have something separate. And that's just for themselves, almost start the day, start fresh, have that you know, understanding and, and clarity. I think clarity is the most important aspect. And I think I also have found that through journaling, whether it is just scheduling appointments and things that I have to do, but also journaling my ideas, my feelings, how I feel on the court. I think that's super important for players as well, because there is for whatever level of intelligence you are at, you are thinking about a billion different things. Maybe you know, if maybe some people are thinking about a billion and one, but you have so much going on in your head, put it on paper. Then once it's on paper, have your yoga where you can get it all out and, and have that clarity. And then you go and you step on court and you're like, I know what I have to do. I know what I have to get done. So why don't you uh, have notes for yourself when you're on the court? For me, I've found that once I'm on court, the damage has been done. And I know that's a tough thing to say. It is for for better or for worse, the damage has been done. So if it's good, then I'm in the great then I'm in a good state of mind. I'm ready to go. Nothing can affect it. But if it's bad, it's very rarely, you know, I could still be successful that day and somehow find a way to maneuver through it, but I won't necessarily find a way out of it. And that's a tough thing and and I think um, I don't know if a lot of people would admit that, but again, I, I found more than enough times where I've been, I've been in bad mental states, physical, whatever it is, and I found ways through it, but I'm not finding ways out of it. I find that the preparation is far more important, and that leads to confidence. I think that's the most— So and, for you— Yes, please. Do, do, you, do you think that—which uh, which is worse, overthink on the court or off the court? Oh, I think overthink on the court is worse because you find yourself at a standstill while life is still moving. <laughs> you know, you're, you're competing against somebody else. So you're not going to be like, wait, wait, hold on. Let me let me do this for a quick second. I need an extra five minutes to think this through. Um, I think you can find yourself at a standstill throughout a match um, that could be extremely, extremely detrimental. So. People always talk about this idea of players who are big chokers 
who have trouble executing at the finish, executing at the end of a set, executing at the end of a match, at the in a final. Um, we've, of course, seen plenty of times players who, who struggle getting through even though they're up two breaks in a third set. Um, do you think that this factors in, this idea of overthinking, or is that just one of those random once-in-a-blue-moon occurrences? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a blue moon, but I think in the most part, you have these guys, you know, it's like the Kobe Bryant's of the world that said, no matter what, I want the ball. I don't care if I miss 900 shots. I, I still think when I have the ball in my hand, I'm going to make that shot in. And this is not a knock on like a Fritz, but I'll use him as an example. He can miss, and I've been around him, he can miss 10 forehands in a row. But he finds himself at match point, he will go for that same forehand that missed 10 times in a row, and he'll make it. Because he truly believes deep down that regardless of what has happened prior to this, the probability is in his favor that he's going to make that forehand now. And, oh my God, am I jealous of that. I mean, hmm. that I, I look at that and I'm like, how is it not even a thought in your head that, oh, maybe today's not my day, or I'm just not feeling it. I mean... God, I see it all the time, and he's not the only one. I've seen the hundreds of other players where they just say, you know, actually, I'll take that back. I've seen very few players where they say, God, you know, I missed 13 forehand down the line, but try me. Give me that break point. Give me that forehand. I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to put it past you as a winner. I'm going to break you. And it's like nothing else mattered. <laughs> It seems like what you're talking about and what we've been talking about through this whole um, last 20 minutes is this idea, very simply, of doubt. And the fact that doubt creeps in at, at certain times um, because maybe you are overthinking um, as but opposed connect, to the simplicity of it. I connect doubt to intelligence at times but I, because I think that the further you assess the situation, the further you analyze the variables within a situation, that you can see how many possible negative outcomes can be produced. You yeah. know, once you stop actually going through that and you're like, well, I've hit this forehand so many times so well, why wouldn't I hit it well right now? That's a simple way of doing it. But me, I'm like, well, the wind's that way. You know, I didn't feel great this morning. I, I, You know, the forehand felt okay. Let me just roll it cross court. And if I get a shorter ball, then I can go down line. But I'm just really not feeling it right now. And I remember playing and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what is happening right now? Is hmm. no, I mean, it must be so tough for my girlfriend to deal with me. Because if I say half of the stuff out loud that I say in my head, it's probably the reason I only have three friends. But that's why some of these matches become so tricky for me. It's just something I do. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to be honest. Um, yes, it is really difficult uh, being in the same room with you for an extended period of time. <laughs> Again, which is why I'm 23 and I have like three close friends. Uh, but so here, here's the thing, Noah. Um, people are going to hear this and think, oh, it's just a Noah problem. Um, yeah. So how, how, what percentage of players do you say, even let's say top 50 or, or higher, I mean, where, where's this level of confidence, intelligence, and how many have adjusted pretty well percentage-wise in, in your opinion? I think it comes with experience. If we could talk about, you know, 
the people at you know my level and my age, I think it's I think it's prevalent. I see it constantly, and and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but and especially off court, especially off court, because we don't talk mm. about the on court stuff as much because that's kind of like oh I'm giving away my secrets, but the yeah. off court stuff. God, we'll go through and I'll be like, you, you doing that same diet you're doing the other day? Like, no, it like wasn't working for me. I'm oh, doing gosh. this new one and I think it's going to be good. And, you know, I stopped doing this exercise. I'm going to do this kind of fitness. And, you know, I changed my string and because I think it's that because it was affecting my shoulder. And I'm like, wow, when did it not when did it stop becoming like just hit the tennis ball? But this is what we're dealing with, and and I see it, and I see it all the time, and and people won't talk about it again, but I see it on court. I'm seeing them, and I'm like, ooh, two months ago he would have hit that forehand, Mach 40 down the line for a winner, but now, you know, he had a couple tough results, and he's questioning his ability, and he's grinding the points out, and he's not having the success he wants. So, I see it all the time, and it's it's actually really sad because we're not playing at the level. I know I can play it, and I know other players around me can play at, and that's that's really where it comes into play, and and that's why the guys at the top are at the top, you know, they're gonna play their highest level of tennis in the most you know pressure situations because they're confident in themselves, they're not doubting themselves, they know what they have to do, and they can live with the fact that I'm gonna do this, and if it doesn't work out. I'm going to do it the next time again. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to do it the next time again. And I won't lose sleep over that. And I, and the people at my level, and even a little bit ahead of me, I don't think we've gone there. I don't think the large majority of tennis players have gone to a point where they're confident enough to lose matches on their terms, where they understand that the preparation they put in is going to lead to their best outcome. And whatever happens, happens. I don't think, I don't think a lot of us are there yet. And it's, and God, it's tough to it's tough to watch at times. Well, you're you're tough to watch a lot though. Frankly. Yeah, but that's for other reasons because I'm just you know super annoying. I'm either really annoying or really entertaining, and there's no in between. You never get off a no Ruben match, and you're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> that's, a, that's a valid point. Well, let's let's look ahead a little bit at this week. Um, Washington uh, main draw gets underway tomorrow. Jack Sock is is back. He gets um, the best of the Australian stashes. Jordan Thompson. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Mark Pullman's. Uh, you you drove with Mr. Pullman's. Uh, to I did, Washington. and there will be a behind the racket coming out about him in a couple of days. So super exciting. So. It, Tsitsipas is the top seed. Uh, let's see, two seed is Hachanov. Should be a very enjoyable time. And I want to make sure I, I say Tim Smichek made the main draw, qualified um, earlier today. And I, I don't know um, if, if Tim's going to be able to get into U.S. Open qualies. Um, and so this, this realistically, it could be the last time we get to see Mr. Smichek. Um, you, you just don't know how much longer he's going to be going. So if you're in the Washington area, make sure go out and support him as he takes on Matthew Ebden. No, 100%. I mean, this is somebody who's been around the top 100 um, for 10 years, let's say, and given a lot to the sport. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate what it takes to be at that level for that long. And he's done it. And he's, you know, he's a really good person. Um, he has a family now and, you know, on the road this past couple of months, I've, you know, got to hang out with his daughter a little bit and super cute. But, you know, to to have these last kind of opportunities to play at this level and, and kind of make waves and just enjoy tennis a little bit, which 
again, at, at the qualities level and some of these smaller tournaments doesn't always happen. So now he's at the main draw. He can hopefully enjoy it a little bit. Um, you know, it's nice. It's nice to see. And on a personal note for, for Tim, and he's been on, on this podcast before you were involved uh, he, a couple times, he was one of the first players um, because he was working with Billy Heiser, who was at Illinois, and so I knew Billy, and Tim was nice enough to ask me questions about myself and, and make me feel welcome back when I didn't know any players at all um, other than Rajiv Ram, another Illinois guy. So he, Tim will always have a special place in my heart because of the fact that's just the kind of human being he is, kind-hearted, um, willing to take time to introduce himself to people. Um, everybody's going to always talk about the, the match with Nadal, um, the conceding of that. And uh, But that's that truly was who he is. He's just that person, and I'm always going to be thankful for him. Um, I will be, of course, in Lexington uh, with the draw getting underway tomorrow. Uh, Polanski, the one seed, another one of the stashes. Alex Bolt, <laughs> the two seed. Yannick Sinner's going to be there. Yeah. Uh, Liam Brody's going to bring some entertainment. Uh, listen, I, I hate looking ahead. I hate like discounting anybody, especially right, in a challenge draw when it's a little bit more wide open. But the idea of a third round matchup, Yannick Sinner and Maxime Cressy. Mm. Get your popcorn I, yeah, ready. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I no, mean, that, that should be exciting. I, I think Rybakov's in there. Um, uh, so I, I want to make sure. I know Rybo is is right there and can knock off uh, Maxime Cressy, and it wouldn't be a surprise, right? But that would be an entertaining one. I no, think, to 100%. see Cressy in center. You put that on one screen, you got Noah Rubin playing for the Orange County Breakers on the other screen. I mean, can you ask for a much better night than that? Well, well the crappy part is that, I mean, the commentary is Mackenzie McDonald, and I mean, good God. <laughs> Who? Sorry. Who some, was that? Some washed-up tennis player. Ah, uh, Mackenzie. <laughs> Mackie. Oh, yeah, I've heard of you. USC, right? Yep, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, yes. I. Oh, UCLA. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I used to be friends with him. Um, then he treated me poorly once. Shout out to you, Mackie. He'll probably be listening to this. <laughs> but yeah, I no, excited. I doubt it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but, so, but yeah. so uh, of course you'll be at World Team Ten. What team are you playing for? Orange County Breakers. I said. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, were you part of a trade or are you a last minute free agent signing? I'm a free agent signing. Uh, I actually wanted to be a part of it about two months ago. They didn't really have any spots and opened up and it was perfect timing right before Aptos and I'll be in California and take the team to the playoffs. It would be fun in Vegas, I think. I mean, why not? I'm ex- I'm excited for you because I know how important the, the idea of the team uh, process has been, and I know you had some hesitation about World Team Tennis this the, over the last couple of years, and I think they've done an incredible job in terms of their marketing, their television deal, uh, and it seems like it's really going in a very positive direction. I'm just excited to you know see it firsthand and kind of like show how happy I'm going to be throughout this you know whole you know what we call the. Um, team competition and i want to show that it can work and and show people like god people are super happy on this tour why isn't this the case most often so we'll see how it goes and yeah catch you next week as always you can find me at mike c tennis on twitter on instagram you can find him at noah rubin 33 and uh yeah I, i i might i might throw you guys on uh on a side screen while i'm doing some commentating Please do. So, I so think, put on I, a think show. I deserve it. 
Yes, <laughs> you deserve it. That's the important thing. I do. Well, for uh, a very tired Noah Rubin, I am also a very tired Mike Cation. This has been the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket. We will talk to you next week.